honored and privileged to be able to share it with you again today and kind of go a little bit deeper in it today uh, than I did last week. If you weren't here last week, I hope that you'll go back and listen to that message online. Uh, we're talking about Jesus being the bread of life. Jesus gave some very, very incredible statements in John chapter 6. We're going to look at several more of those statements today, and I invite you to go ahead and open your copy of God's Word uh, to John chapter 6. As we continue this 21 days of fasting and feasting, and uh, as we continue this series this morning entitled Fasting and Feasting. Uh, several weeks ago, I talked about a congregational fast, not just what our congregation is doing, but what several congregations are doing all over our city uh, and around our city and in our county and even beyond. 21 churches participating with us. So exciting that other churches are, are doing this and we're, we're doing it with them. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we heard a sermon about feasting on the Word from 2 Kings chapter 22. Uh, Jesse brought the heat and uh, we loved that message from about King Josiah and the revival uh, under him during that time. Last week, I uh, started in John chapter 6, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, started talking about a changing appetite and how Jesus has the ability to change our desires, that he has the ability to change us on the inside and change what we want out of life and change the things that we look for away, away from the things of this world as we look for uh, an eternal kingdom and as we feast upon him as the bread of life. John chapter 6 has 71 verses. Uh, 71 wonderful verses that are packed full of so much truth. One day I'm going to go back and do a whole six or eight week series just on John chapter 6 because there are so, there's so much good stuff in there. But John chapter 6 is, is basically one, one complete story. Even though there's a lot of content in there, it's one complete story. It starts off with Jesus feeding 5,000 people, uh, a miracle, and the crowd loved it so much they wanted to make him king, but Jesus actually rebuked them. He actually rebuked them because he said, you're seeking me for the wrong reasons. And John chapter 6, verse 26 is an incredible verse. I want to put it on the screen for you. It's a verse that I just want to reiterate to you today. This verse, like I said last week, this, this verse has just wrecked me spiritually as God gave it to me, I guess, I guess this past fall. Jesus told these 5,000 people who were following him and they, 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 they loved him so much they wanted to make him king. He said, basically, you're seeking me for the wrong reasons. He said, you're, you're, you're only following me because you ate your fill of the loaves. He said, that's the, that's the only reason that you're following me is because I have filled you up and because I have satisfied your appetites. And God, like I said last week, he, he wrecked me with this verse while I was fasting last fall and really showed me that I had been doing that a lot in my own personal life that I had been seeking him a lot just for the things that he could do for me and just for the ways that he could fill me, not just, not just my, my hunger, but, but fill me in other ways. And, and he, really, he really gave me a new vision for my life, which 
I hope that you are adopting uh, as a vision for your life and a vision for our church. I've asked you to fast and to pray about this, but it's, it, it's simply this, to pour ourselves out for the kingdom of God to the glory of God. Uh, rather than just being people that follow Jesus because of what he can do for us, May we become people who follow him because we are prepared to pour ourselves out for him and for his kingdom and for his glory the same way that Jesus did whenever he went on a cross. Whenever he emptied himself and took upon a cross and made himself nothing, may we also be that way in the way that we live our lives to the glory of God. Well, where we left off last week was Jesus making an incredible statement about himself. John chapter 6, verse 32 through verse 35. Jesus said that he was the true bread. That even the bread that he had miraculously fed people with, that's, he said, don't work for food that perishes. He says that he is the bread of God, that he is the bread of life. And what he's saying is, is that he alone has the ability to satisfy our souls. And just, just as food brings satisfaction to the stomach, Jesus, as the bread of life, brings satisfaction to the human soul and to the human heart. And Jesus said that we must eat this bread. And he was going to make some provocative statements to this crowd, this crowd of 5,000 or more people that he had fed physical bread, that he said, you're seeking me for the wrong reasons, you just want to be filled, don't work for food that perishes, I'm the bread of life. And now he's going to say that you have to eat and partake of that bread, that bread of life. And we're going to read these statements today, easily misunderstood, definitely misunderstood by people that originally uh, heard Jesus say these things and could be easily understood and misunderstood by us as well. I prayed something for you last night, uh, some, something that I feel very inadequate to live up to today. I, I, I'm, almost, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you that I prayed this because I know that I'm inadequate uh, to live up to this. I prayed today, I prayed last night, I prayed last night standing in this very spot, I said, Lord, I said, help, help these people that'll be gathered here today, help them to hear these words in the same way that the original people heard them. And I said, Lord, help it to have the same impact, these, these words that you spoke, help it to have the same impact as it originally had on the people who first heard it. I prayed that for you. And I know that I can't live up to that, but I know that the Holy Spirit of God can use His Word just as powerfully today as He did 2,000 years ago. I know it, and I believe it, and I pray that He does that in your heart today, in spite of me as an unclean vessel. Let's stand today. Let's stand and let's look at these words and may we hear them the same way that the original hearers heard them. And may it, may it have a lasting impact upon us. John chapter 6, starting in verse 51. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I am in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you gave us words like this. And Lord, you hadn't made it easy on us. Lord, you made it to where we have to apply ourselves, to where we have to focus ourselves. Lord, we got to want it. We have to really want to understand you and understand your words. Lord, in order to see truth like this and hear words like this, we have to really desire to understand what you have to say. And so, Lord, I, I think there'll be two, two groups of people here today, just as there were two groups of people in the original crowd that heard these words. There will be those that reject it and don't want it. And there will be those that cherish and become satisfied and nurtured by them. Lord, I pray that we would all be, that, be in that second group today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, as you can see, uh, these would be words that would be easy to misunderstand. If you were following Jesus around the countryside and he was telling you stories through parables and not giving you the interpretation, you would find that difficult. And now for him to make statements like this, provocative statements, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, things that would go, if you take them literally, would go against the very Mosaic law, would, would go against a natural human appetite that would just really seem odd and strange that someone uh, would, would, would say that. And, and it, it probably seems odd and strange to us as well. Even though we know Jesus didn't mean it literally, uh, all of us intuitively know that whenever Jesus spoke these things, that he was giving us a deeper spiritual meaning. He was trying to communicate something deeper than his literal flesh and his literal blood, something, uh, something more important than that. And he says about, eat, about his flesh, and he says about his blood, he says basically that his flesh and his blood are true food. That's what he says. He says eating the flesh and, and drinking his blood, he says it's true food and true drink. I, I find that to be an interesting statement. And if I'm being honest, until I really started 
digging, in, digging into this passage, even though I preached this, these verses before, I kind of always miss that phrase, true food and true drink. And that's, I started thinking, you know, this, that's the, the, the same is true in the physical realm. I mean, there's certain food that's like true food, and there's certain food that's just kind of like a kind of like an imitation. Um, and unfortunately, it seems like that as a culture, we tend to have a taste for that food that kind of has all those additives and all those chemicals and all those things in them. And there, re there really is a difference. And if you don't believe me, just go buy like, I don't know, like a, a half a cow, find a friend who has some grass-fed beef. Like, you know, no, nothing done to it. They just straight from the cow that's been eating grass. And then go get a hamburger patty from McDonald's. And you can taste the difference. In fact, you can even taste the difference between the meat that you buy at Kroger or at Food Line that's been processed. You can tell a difference. Go, uh, go and get some snap beans out of someone's. Y'all know what snap beans are. I know Joey knows what snap beans are. Anybody from Mississippi knows what a snap bean is. Y'all call them string beans, you know, or green beans. They're snap beans because when you pull them off the snock, you got to you got to snap them, you know, to get them short. They come out long. And you go to a field and harvest some fresh green beans. And then you go, up to the, go to the store and buy some green beans in a can. You can tell a difference between what's, what's, what's real food and, and food that's kind of had some additives to it, some, some preservatives to it. And we take in these, these things all the time, these these things are really toxic to us, like aspartame. All you Diet Coke drinkers, guess what? When you drink that Diet Coke, you're drinking, you are actually drinking a chemical that is toxic. Uh, how many of you like that Trident sugar-free gum? It has aspartame in it. How many of you like those artificial sweeteners? You say, oh, I can't have all that sugar, so i got to have that artificial sweetener. Listen, aspartame is just one of the toxic chemicals that we take into our bodies all the time, and it's... It's, it's, it makes our food, it's almost like it's not real, but we eat it all the time. We, even though we know that, we eat it all the time. Um, real food, on the other hand, um, if we're not careful, we might not even have a taste for it. We might say, eh, that doesn't, doesn't taste like the things, the things that, I've, that, I've, that I've been eating. Well, what Jesus is saying here is like, it's he's, given, he's, he's basically declaring his flesh and his blood as unprocessed, real, spiritual food that truly nurtures our soul and our hearts in a way that we find life. The gospel is true, spiritual food. It is, it, is, it is almost impossible for us to read these words about Jesus' flesh and about Jesus' blood and to not think about the cross, to not think about something that we're going to commemorate today through partaking of the Lord's Supper together, his broken body and his spilled blood. The gospel is true Food, what Jesus has done for us, dying on a cross for our sins. You see, you're a sinner. There's just a, that's just that's just true. We are sinners, 
in need of a Savior. And Jesus came to earth. He left a throne in heaven, and, and he, he took upon flesh. And he lived a perfect life, and he physically died in your place. His flesh was mangled, and his blood was spilled. Even though he didn't deserve it, you and I deserved death. You and I deserve uh, not just a physical death, but an eternal death in hell. You and I deserve that. But Jesus said, no, because of the love that I have for people and because they were made in my image, I'm going to provide a way of escape. I'm going to come and I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm, I'm going to endure having a crown of thorns pressed down on my brow. I, I'm going to endure someone punching me with their fist and bleeding and have someone bang, hit, hit me over the head with a stick and, and mock me and whip me and force me to carry a big wooden cross and then, and then drive nails through my hands and through my feet and, and in a way that my flesh is mangled and my blood is spilled and I'm going to do it so that my people might be saved and might be able to enter into a relationship with God and spend eternity with me. Listen, the gospel, what Jesus did for you is true spiritual food. Amen? It is true spiritual food. There is nothing else that is going to nurture your soul more than the gospel, more than what Jesus has done for you. And here's what Jesus, here's what Jesus is saying. When he says to eat my flesh and drink my blood, understand this, he is telling us to properly digest the gospel. That's what he's telling us to do. To spiritually, relationally, properly understand, receive, believe, and live out the gospel. That's, that's what it means to eat his flesh and to drink his blood is to receive the gospel in a way that it is absolutely genuine and life-changing. Not just believing it, not just, not, not just hearing it, not just reading it, not just understanding it, but digesting it fully and completely in a way that it satisfies. You see, the gospel is a spiritual meal that nourishes the soul if it is truly received. And you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of processed food out there. And I'm not talking about food that we physically eat. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of McDonald's doctrine out there. Our culture has processed the message of the gospel and has infused it with top, toxic chemicals in a way that it doesn't really doesn't really satisfy. There's y'all know there's a lot of false doctrine in our world. There's a lot of doctrine out there that says you're not really a sinner. You're not really all that bad. 
There's doctrine out there that says, okay, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher, and yeah, you can be saved through him, but you can also be saved in other ways. There's a lot of McDonald's doctrine out there that would, that would give you false chemicals and, and false food, like, oh, all you have to do is believe. It doesn't really matter how you live. Repentance and sanctification and godliness doesn't really have to be a part of it. I mean, God understands, you know, your, 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 your situation. And, I mean, if you continue to fall short, no big deal. God just kind of accepts you how you are. There's, 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 a lot of, there's a lot of toxic spiritual food out there that distorts the gospel and doesn't, doesn't fully grasp the meal, the spiritual meal that Jesus has, has, given, has given to us. And the Bible goes so far to say that anyone who preaches a gospel different than the one true gospel should be accursed. Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, the Bible says that any other gospel other than the one that we understand from Scripture and now understand as true spiritual food, the Bible says that, that anyone who preaches that type of gospel should be accursed and the enemy wants you to believe anything except for the true gospel, that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for you, that he took your place, and now only through receiving and believing in him and properly digesting the message and living it out can you actually be saved. That's, that's what Jesus says. Only true food gives life. Look at some of these verses. I don't have time to go into all of these, but only true, only the true food that Jesus gives can give us life. Jesus said he's going to raise us up, that we're going to have eternal life. By the way, man, so much good stuff in these verses. So much good stuff in John chapter 6, saying that he's going to raise us up. I see, an, I see an Easter message in there somewhere. Three times he says that he's going to raise us up. Multiple times he says we have eternal life, that we will not die, and that we will live forever. Don't, isn't that the type of spiritual food that you need? Not some toxic, you know, uh, culturally processed gospel that has no power to change us and has no power to lead us into eternal life. You see, just as, spirit, as physical food gives energy and growth to our bodies, true spiritual food does it to the soul. But here's a harsh reality. Jesus spoke this message, and people rejected it. They didn't want to hear it. Do you know that people, human beings, have been rejecting the true gospel for 2,000 years. Some have accepted it. Many of you, I hope most of you, I hope all of you have accepted the true gospel that leads to eternal life and to salvation. But by and large, the world has rejected the gospel. John chapter 1, Jesus says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And we see all throughout Scripture, Jesus will teach and then he'll have opponents. He'll have people that don't like what he teaches. And uh, ultimately, obviously, they killed him on a cross. But here in this passage, this group of Jews, they started to grumble. Not all the Jews, but these, these, a lot of them were the religious leaders. They grumbled because they didn't like that teaching. We see also in the book of Acts, which, by the way, uh, I'm going to be starting a, sermon, uh, a new sermon series in the book of Acts in two weeks. Very excited about that. All throughout the book of Acts, we see a few people 
receive the message of the true gospel, and we see broad rejection of the gospel by the vast majority of people. What are you going to do when it starts to get hard? That's, that's, that's what they say. That's what these people say. They say, you know, this is, this is kind of a hard saying. You know, we don't know that we fully, we fully understand it. You know, sticking with the gospel is hard. Sticking with the gospel is difficult. I think that's one of the reasons, personally, that the Lord has given us the, Lord, the institution of the Lord's Supper, because it requires an explanation. Why do we do this? What does it mean? Broken body, spilled blood, paid for our sins. We can never move beyond the gospel, um, but sticking with the gospel is hard. And when it gets hard, what do people do? They, they, they grumble. How far... Are you willing to go to stay with Jesus? I mean, we all have limits. Some of you probably had limits today, this past week, of how far you would drive in the ice and in the snow. Some of you were like, mm, I'm not getting out in that. And others, others of you might have been like, hey, you know what? Ralph's is open. Oh, yeah. I'll get out for that. I had that experience. Uh, so m my mom had a hair appointment, and she said, uh, she said, hey, will you take me to my hair appointment? I'm like, are you kidding me in this? And she said, well, you can just walk, you know, walk over to Ralph's. Well, I was like, I'll wait for you at Ralph's. Deal. Bet. I'm like, I can do that. I can do that, man. I'll, 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 I'll get out and drive in the worst conditions possible for a Ralph's butter twist. Although I will have to tell you, sorry, y'all, I'm hungry. I've been fasting. Man, there's cinnamon rolls you got to check out. There's cinnamon rolls. Can I get an amen on a Ralph's cinnamon roll? Oh, man. My mouth's watering now. I'm serious. <laughs> I mean, there's limits to how hard it gets. And I, these people, listen, y'all, these people, one hard saying. They went from wanting to make him king to walking away. They grumbled. They said, this is hard. They grumbled, and look at what they did. They turned back, and they no longer walked with him because of one hard saying. Oh, he's awesome. He fed us bread. We need to make him king. Oh, no, wait a minute. Now. I don't know if I agree with that. That's too hard for me. Nah, I'm out. Mm -mm. I'll grumble against that. One hard saying. And, of course, Jesus was like, no, wait, don't leave. Here's what I find, here's what I find interesting. They grumbled because he gave, he gave them a hard saying. You know what he did again? He, he gave them another hard saying. He was like, you take advice to this? Well, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? They grumbled and complained about a hard saying, and then he just gave them another hard saying. Y'all, I've said this before, but sometimes I wonder as I flip through the Gospels if Jesus is intentionally trying to, like, cause offense and frustrate and discourage people. 
I mean, he tells parables and doesn't give an interpretation. He says, hey, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They get offended by that. And he goes, well, if you think that's bad, how about this? And gives them another hard saying. He has someone come up and say, hey, my father's sick. I'll follow you after. And he says, no, let the dead bury their own dead. And one of them says, hey, I just got married. And he's like, nope, no excuse. You put your hand to the plow and turn back. You're not fit. He says things like, he says things like you have to hate your life. You got to hate father and mother. It's like he's constantly saying all of these hard and difficult things as if to discourage people but that's not at all what he's doing what he's doing is he is preparing us for the cost of discipleship it's hard it's hard it's not easy it's hard don't ever share the gospel with someone and say oh man you're going to love it whenever you get saved. God's going to make your life so good. It's going to be so easy. No, that's not what Jesus promised. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And then he said, but be of good, be of good encouragement. He says, I have, I, have, I have overcome the world. If they can't even handle some hard sayings, how would they ever withstand true persecution? How will you react when you hear something you don't agree with? Maybe you're just, maybe you're just now trying this whole church thing. What happens when you hear a hard saying? What happens, when you, what happens when you hear something that you don't agree with? What happens when you hear something that you don't understand? What happens when you realize that Jesus commands you to do something and you don't really want to do it, what happens when you realize that it's harder than anticipated? Do you grumble and walk away? Listen, some people struggle to stay faithful when it's easy. Some people struggle to stay faithful whenever there's nothing hard that's taking place. What about when it gets real hard? Y'all, I've, I've, I've got a sermon series marinating in the back of my mind right now. Let me, get, let me just give you my opinion. You didn't come to church to hear my opinion. I get it. You came to hear the Word of God, but I'm, I'm going to give you my opinion it, just about this one thing. I think a time is coming, maybe even in our lifetime, whenever spiritual renewal and revival is going to be accessible to those who are willing to pay a high cost. And only a few are going to really experience, really experience it. And that there is going to be this mass turning away. I mean, Scripture even prophesies it. There's going to be this mass turning away because of persecution and of difficulty and of hardship. I, I, when I see the trajectory, now this, listen, this is, all, this is already happening in other nations and in many third world countries and many places where we go on mission. I feel like it's just a matter of time before it visits us here in America. 
And before we begin to experience hardship and persecution, and listen, when that happens, there will be an opportunity to be a part of such a significant movement of God, of revival and spiritual awakening for those who are ready to really, really gut it out with the spiritual grit to say, I'm going to do the hard things and I'm going to suffer so that I can have God. And the other people that are going to say, hmm, that's a... That's just, that's just a little much for me. If it doesn't happen in our lifetime, I wonder in our kids' lifetime, our grandkids' lifetime. People don't want Christianity, typically, they don't want a Christianity with a cost. They want one with a benefit unless they're people like Peter. Peter was, Peter was willing to totally abandon everything. Total abandonment. Jesus looked at them. All those people that walked off, and he looked at his apostles. He says, hey, what about, what about you guys? Y'all, y'all going with them too? And Peter said, there is no other place to go. He said, you have the words of life, just you. And he says, we have believed, and we have come to know that's a good word right there. Not just know right here, but know in the heart. There's two Greek words for, the, for know, and I didn't take Greek, so I don't know them, but one, one is a know in your mind, and one is a truly know in your soul. One is a know in that I've heard the name and I've seen them on television. The other is, I know them personally, just like I know my wife and my family and my good friends. Jesus said, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We ain't going nowhere. That's what Peter said. He says there is no one else. You know, it really, it really is, discipleship really is a choice. It really is a choice. Jesus makes it clear. We can totally reject the gospel or we can totally abandon the world and all of its hopes. There's no, there, there, is no real, there is no real in between. You have to make some type of rejection in your life. You can't, you can't ride the fence. You either have to be all in with Jesus or it's an all out. Discipleship just, discipleship just, it just doesn't work. Unless you say, I am 100% all in, no matter what, I'm not going anywhere, it doesn't matter how hard it gets, it doesn't matter, I'm going to say with Job, though he slay me, yet I will worship him. That is the only way discipleship works, the only way it happens. And you do not have the human ability or sheer determination of will in order to do that. That's why Jesus said, look at these verses and I'll end with this. John 6, 44, 63, and 65. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You want to be a disciple that's all in? You need to ask the Holy Spirit of God to do something inside of you. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. My flesh, my flesh is, doesn't help me to be a spiritual person. 
The Holy Spirit has to do that inside of me. And he said, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted by my Father. Where are you today? Are you all in like Peter? Are you all in with him? Are you ready to follow him no matter what and stick with him no matter what and feast on his flesh and drink his blood, digest the gospel fully and completely? That is discipleship. That's something we're going to celebrate today.